This is Keep It Simple, a weekly discussion of significant issues regarding the Word of God and His people. Our host is Pastor Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Pasadena, and the Simple Truths Radio Ministries. Good day and welcome to Keep It Simple, the weekly internet talk show featuring Pastor Xavier Reese in the ministry of Calvary Chapel here in Pasadena, California. How's everybody doing out there? Good. Good to see you, Pastor X. How was your holiday over the new year? Good, good. Relaxing with the grandkids and everything. Amen. We have with us in the studio today our production engineer, Jonathan Duran. Good morning. And our special guest from Calvary Chapel in Cypress, California, Pastor Chris Quintana. Chris, how are you? I'm not used to being referred to as a special guest. I'm very <laughs> blessed to be here. So we aim to please. <laughs> Chris is a husband and father, not a grandfather yet, though. Huh? No, no. My wife is really hoping for that soon. I'll bet. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting. <laughs> Chris has served the Lord many years in the city of Cyprus, as well as being a, a friend to the ministry here in Pasadena. We're grateful to have him with us. Pastor X, you know, whenever we have an opportunity to talk with a pastor from another fellowship, always exciting to hear how the Holy Spirit is directing believers uh, in that, that body of believers. And uh, is that because we have this uh, desire to hear some new thing? Do you think that's our issue? Well, you know, it's interesting because it's the same God we serve. And he uses the same manual, uh, the same spirits at work. But sometimes he does things a little different, never contrary to his word. But uh, the way God would raise people up, the manner by which he would provide certain things, uh, how he would reach people, all those things can change. And God's always, if he's in the work, then he's in control. And that's what's interesting. And, you know, the great thing is you have, through the years, always instructed us. We're students. We're trying to learn. We're always looking for some new opportunity and something the Lord might be trying to teach us. Now, Pastor Chris, altogether, how long have you been serving the Lord in the city of Cyprus? It's funny, we, we were talking about this before the show uh, started. So it was late 85 when we first walked into Cyprus, um, went to a men's retreat in uh, springtime of 86. And uh, coming back from that, we started a prayer meeting. So that was my first little glimpse of ministry. And that was uh, mm -hmm. prayer ministry around there that was for the entire body. But it was just a it was the guys that were in our, our room. And so there were uh, six of us total. And we started a prayer meeting from that that went on for years around there. And uh, that it, it, we kind of jumped in pretty much right away, but it was always more peripheral uh, kind of ministry things. And it was quite mm -hmm. some time before you started to get into the pastoral things, but uh, never envisioned doing the things that are being done now. My world had always been, uh, I always uh, thought that my world would have uh, Chuck Smith in it and Jack Stevens, my senior pastor before yeah. me. I never thought that the day would come when they wouldn't be with us. Yeah. So, but you know, um, it's interesting, Chris, as you, as, as you say that, when we reflect back to those years, you're talking about the early 80s, right? Yeah. Um, you know, this is when God had blessed Pastor Chuck. Um, the Jesus movement comes out of the late 60s into the 70s. Um, and there was just such a fervor, such a, a work of God in terms of reaching the young people that those days, the hippies and, and, and others. And, um, and there was just a fervency of knowing that Jesus was coming once you were born again. Mm -hmm. Of course, we were all so ignorant. We were all in the world and all that and to our own little things, whatever. But, um, once the gospel was preached and if it was embraced, 
there was an absolute consequential uh, lifestyle that changed, mm -hmm. as the gospel declares it will. And there was a desire to please God, to know the Bible, and to just be open to see what God was going to do. And that's how he started so many of the Calvary chapels, just through home studies. Amen. And, you know, that desire to please God, <laughs> one of the ways that it shows up is seeking to find an involvement opportunity mm -hmm. in ministry. Now, were you on staff at Cypress for many years under Pastor Jack? Uh, I was on staff there 98 to 2000. And uh, I left voluntarily because of some things with my wife. She was working. We were in California, so it's really tough to not or to make ends meet without both working. Uh, so I went. I was there for two and a half years, but I, I reopened uh, a business that my dad had when I was younger, when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it allowed me to still be around the ministry all the time, which oh, was great. Yeah. Uh, but uh, then I came back on staff in 2009, January of 2009. And it was later that year that we found out that Jack's cancer had returned. And uh, so you could see God putting all the pieces in place long before you even have the slightest idea of why it had. So for people that know much about California or even the states here, uh, things changed in the economy starting in around the latter part of 2007, 2008. Right. And everything changed about how business was being done. So I was faced with you know, changing the way we did things or just shutting down the business, which I did. And then I went to, uh, uh I went to work at the church cause the door had opened there again. And now look where it is, you know, so Amen. God had much larger plans than any of us yeah. had the slightest yeah. idea. Yeah. It's really fascinating as you talk to people involved in ministry and, and it, not necessarily people who work at a church because, you know, the vast majority of the people who serve in ministry are people who work full time somewhere outside the church mm -hmm. And or their housewives or whatever the case may be. But yet it's the educational process that God works in the life of every individual. And it's just fascinating to watch. You know, as you, you talked about, you went to a men's retreat, started a prayer meeting. And that was the first step in your life. Mm -hmm. And whenever we talk to people, we yeah. get to hear, you know, the way the Holy Spirit just custom tailors yeah. that, that whole process yeah. of education. You know, um we have this idea, and I know you guys talk to people all the time who are interested in being involved. People who've gotten on fire for the Lord, they want to be involved in full-time ministry. And they, they, the thing I hear most commonly is, you know, I, I, I think I need to go to seminary. That's, you know, sort of like the default right. setting that people think right away. How do you respond to that kind of a perspective, Pastor? Yeah. Well, you know, um, nothing wrong with education. Mm -hmm. You want to always, in fact... Um, if you're a Christian, you, you'll never stop studying. You're supposed to be growing all the time. But we have in the Western world here the formality of education, degrees, and all that. Um, Pastor Chuck, um, again, didn't think very highly of uh, most seminaries, and not because he was prejudiced, but because of what they taught. Um, they, um, they, 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 they teach criticism about the Bible and they do all of the things, but they don't study the Bible. Mm -hmm. And when they do, it's sometimes so liberal that it's just counterproductive to what the whole purpose of the gospel. Um, I myself, um, you know, all of us got raised up in the Lord in the early 70s and God started raising up, you know, churches through Calvary Chapels, through Bible studies, stuff like that. None of us had formal education in terms of seminary or stuff like that. Uh, we just took Chuck's taste, listened to them, 
I used to do ten chapters a night on Sunday night, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 that was our seminary. Uh, and, and then from there, God, God took it. Now, again, there's nothing wrong. And, and again, it's not for everybody. Some people may be led by the Lord to go to school. And it's their responsibility to make sure the church is going to be biblically accurate. And if it's in some way isn't, at least they will stay true and they, they will be productive. And God, in the end result is that God's in it. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with education. As I tell people all the time, get all the education you can. But once you get it, get over it. Uh, what happens a lot of times is people want to wear it. They want to impress people with it. Um, and then on the other hand, there's teachers and pastors that don't have any education. And, and, and yet they're always making an emphasis that they're not educated, but they try to appear like they're educated and they sound foolish. Okay. Yeah. So I think the main thing that Chuck always taught is that um, just be yourself. Uh, what God has called you to do. Paul the Apostle is a much better authority. He says, don't compare yourself among yourself unless you be unwise. And so if you function according to God's calling, His anointing, and the gifts that He's given to you, then you've got everything He has. Again, some people may be directed by God to go to that, but that doesn't mean there's a requirement or anything else. Personally, I've seen more people discouraged mm-hmm. from ministry in seminary and Bible school sure. education yes. than I have seen equipped and uh, encouraged in that direction. As far as the, I, yeah, I would side with what you just said, X, that there's nothing wrong with education in and of itself. But let's just be honest. If you're going to go to a seminary, you're going to learn whatever the theology and the theological school of that seminary is. So when was the last time you had heard of a seminary that said, hey, we want you to come and study the Bible for yourself and have the Holy Spirit lead you to the conclusions rather than what we think? Right. They would, they would be in right. business. Right. But when you look at Paul, uh, Paul was the closest thing that you would see to a seminarian and uh, read what he had to say in, in Philippians about his pedigree. He right. said, yeah, I'm all of these right. things, but I count it all lost. And the rest of the apostles, he didn't go to the seminaries to empty those places out and have those be the guys. Yeah. He grabbed the ones of no reputation. Yeah. So uh, when when you consider that, again, you want to see the first real student of Paul. That was Timothy. And, and Paul was a walking seminary. And yeah. Timothy yeah. was there to see it. So yeah. that's why Paul was able to say, follow my example. How often did you hear him say that? You have me as a pattern. You have me as a model. So I look at guys, and I'm, you know... Xavier's not going to get puffed up by me saying it, but I, what I know when I get to be around pastors who have been around it longer than I have, when I go to a pastor's conference or something like that, I want to see the guys that have been in it and I want to learn from them because they've been through those battles. Why should I have to go through all of that stuff if they already have? And I can glean from those guys. Now that's the best seminary you're going to find mm-hmm. guys that have been there. Practical ministry is something that will prepare a person for doing something down the road far better than what you can learn in a book in a classroom. Yeah. It's hey, in, go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead Tom. It's interesting that you should say that because there is a huge move in the church today away from that idea that, you know, we need to put younger men who have less experience in positions of leadership and authority. And I'm just not understanding yeah. that. Well, well, well I, it's backwards. Yeah, it's rayable. And, uh, but you know, what's interesting is that, um, the whole aspect about seminary, again, uh, as Chris says, it's tied to denominations. So they have certain biblical standards and theologies that are contrary to the scriptures, such as replacement theology. Uh, you know, we are just down the street from Fuller Seminary. Okay. 
and it's considered to be one of the greatest in the world and different things, but it's totally liberal. They do not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. It's more school of psychology than theology, um, and um, nobody wants to say anything about it. And uh, the majority of the um, seminaries, the um, same thing. Most Christian colleges, their uh, replacement theology, um, they have some very strong standings against Israel. And so, um, uh, if, if, you, if you're just a disciple of Jesus Christ, and you're teaching, if God calls you to be a pastor, He anoints you, and He gives you the gifts, then your responsibility is to feed the flock of God every week. Mm-hmm. On Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek, whatever God sets up. And through the process of time, whatever it be, the number of years, God knows what your lifespan is. Everybody has a lifespan. Everybody has a peak. Everybody has a downward motion, without exception. But God has given you a set amount of years to do what He has directed and wants you to do and enabled you to do. Whether you will accomplish it all or not, you'll find out when you get before Christ. But if there were pastors that fed the flock of God systematically, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and with theology, good theology and all that, and biblical theology is the best, Amen. out of the context, not systematic theology, okay? Not spiritual formation. Yes. And, and, and if you do that, then you don't need seminaries. Amen. Amen. The reason You're, seminaries and pastors fail to feed the flock of God. Amen. The church becomes the seminary. And, you know, we should mention for people that may be unfamiliar with you, Xavier, that you are a seminary graduate. You have gone through, so you're not speaking from an absence of understanding of these things. Yeah. Like I said, you know, get all the education. When I was, um, I was in my, my senior year at Cal State LA when I got born again in 1973. And um, I, I graduated from, from um, secular university. And um, and then God saved me, and I didn't even go to my graduation. I mainly my thing because I, I I was born again. It didn't matter to yeah. me. And then yet God opened the door for me to go back in the eighties. Okay, and as I sat there with um, with the dean of the school, um, I said, you know, I'm not here to know if God has called me or anointed me. I said I already know that God has done this and this, and we've seen Him do that. And um, but I do want to learn. And so God allowed me. But again, it's not for everybody. But I've been through the secular universities as well as seminary, Christian, quote, quote, okay? And, 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 and it was interesting because I got to be able to get into the mind of people who get into denominations and the problems they go through, the politics they mm-hmm. go through, the stress, the problems. I, I, I just had to give an account to God. Amen. Tony, uh, didn't you and I, maybe about 10 years ago... Attend some sort of a breakfast. Was it at Fuller? And um, I think the theme of it was the gospel according to hip hop and Tupac. And yeah, it was pretty strange. It was. Uh, yeah. I think it was a promotional thing for a for a hip hop Christian quote unquote Christian hip hop artist that was going to yeah. be in Pasadena. And okay, yeah, it was very strange. It was interesting, huh? <laughs> yeah, unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, young man was doing his thesis. doctoral thesis um, in the gospel according to Tupac Shakur. Right, right. Which, if you're familiar with hip hop music, you know that those are kind of non sequiturs. It's a scary thing. <laughs> yeah, so, came to mind right now. I remember that. Fall. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and it's human organizations going to be full of holes. Sure. Unfortunately. And there yeah. are, you know, in defense, there are people on seminaries and Bible colleges that are sincerely sold out to the gospel. Sure. But unfortunately, I believe they're in the minority and they don't have the steering wheel. Yeah. If I could throw one other little thing in here, I, I think people really need to understand this. 
you know, let's let's just stipulate that there are really solid uh, seminary um, professors and people with just Amen. right on Amen. doctrine and theology. So let's stipulate to that, yeah. and that there are students that have the genuine desire to understand that. But if somebody comes to me and says, well, I graduated from so-and-so seminary and here's my degree and here's the alphabet soup after my name, that doesn't make you right. And I would give this as an evidence right down the street from our church is a community college and there are professors there with the same alphabet soup after their name in the biology classes that will tell me that I evolved from an ape. So because they've gone through, they've really got their alphabet soup after their name because they gave the answers that they were supposed to give right. exactly. based upon right. what they were yeah. taught. Right. So none of that is impressive. Right. And the original model of the church that we see in the book of Acts wasn't about, you know, like, or, or when we want to say Timothy, Paul didn't say, well, go to <coughs> seminary for a few years, come back and then join me in the mission. Field. Right, right, right. It goes back to studying the Word of God. Yep. You know, and many of you that are listening out there uh, throughout the world, uh, if you're a Christian, you understand that. You know, you heard the gospel, God convicted you. God opened your eyes, God transformed you, and now you have a hunger for the Word of God. And God is able to to teach you, to instruct you, to raise you up in ministry, and to give you all the wisdom in the world. Um, we believe in pastor teachers in that. We, we believe we should gather together as the, as the saints of the church. Um, but we realize that it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us directly. He will use different instruments in that. And when we hear a man speaking, we should be checking them as Acts 17, 11, being a Berean, um, to examine if those things are so. The plumb line for truth, objective truth, is always the Word of God. Always the Word of God. You drop that plumb line. If it doesn't line up, throw it out. There's no other objective truth that is the plumb line. It's the Word of God. And all of us as Christians have the same Bible. All of us. The same Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ. You know, people have this tendency to want to magnify their office. And even involuntarily, they just see what it is that they do as being all-important and all-consuming. All And, you know, in reality is that, as as you've expressed here today, Pastor X, the things that people do as pastors is relatively straightforward and simple to feed the flock of God day by day and week by week. And, you know, that doesn't change a lot for us from year to year, even though things change. The the work of people in the ministry really doesn't. And how we go about that, it doesn't change dramatically. Why is it? Well, one of the things that we hit on earlier is that we're all, it's funny because you're always hearing about people with different methodologies. Ooh, what's the newest, latest, coolest trend happening in the church? Right. And anybody who's not following that is somehow antiquated and far behind the curve. And you want to say, so are we not all reading from the same book that's at minimum 2,000 years old? Yeah. You know, so the idea that there's something new. Come on, if you want to go from Solomon or, or even from what we learned from Pastor Chuck, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. That's it. Yeah, it's a cute little play on words, but it really does illustrate an impressive truth. Yes. And so if somebody comes up with, I've got this new methodology, okay, you're adapting the culture to the church instead right. of the other way around, right. where the church should influence the culture. But boy, take a look around. The church is being influenced by the culture in ways I've never seen in my 30-some-odd yes. years. Yeah. And I think the last 8 to 10 years, we've seen the um, very, very fast decline mm -hmm. of committed Christians to theology, to Scripture. Um, they're being swept up by this. Uh, this is the latest and the newest, the emergent church movement. Mm -hmm. 
And again, um, it, it didn't come all of a sudden, uh, sporadically. It's a transition. Uh, we went from objective biblical truth that God used through the Jesus movement, and then through that came in the seeker-friendly movement, sort of like non-threatening, you know, and, and being more intellectual, kind of like church growth that comes out of Fuller Seminary with Wagner, and, and then McGavern was the granddaddy. And, um, and, and, and you're intellectualizing all these methodologies, how to grow the church, how to attract people in, how to keep them. And you're trying to analyze this whole thing, dissect it, so that you're in control. And so the church uh, begins to be run like a corporation, like a business, mm -hmm. rather than just being a shepherd who is called and anointed and God raises up elders and he's directing the church daily. Even as we see through the book of Acts, he called, it was the Spirit says, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry which I have called him. The church has, the church never sent Paul and Saul out. Right. I mean, Paul and, and, right. and Barnabas out. Um, it was the Holy Spirit who sent them out. The church just agreed with the Holy Spirit. In, in the first church council in, in Acts 15, it says, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And we've reversed it. Men have put themselves in the position of the authorities and the um, professionals. And you can reach the gospel in different ways. God can use music. God can use um, personal evangelism, different things. The methodology can change. But the philosophy of ministry has to be biblical. And that means that God directs, He saves, He calls, He anoints, He's the one that does the work, and it's always based on the teaching of his word. Simple. Mm -hmm. And when we get away from that and we try to please the culture or adapt ourselves to the culture, we get into subjectivism. And what makes that so relevant today is because when we moved into the years 2000, um, we went from an, uh, uh, um, uh, a society that was moral and ethical to an extent, Certainly, it was declining towards the end of the century. But as soon as we crossed 2000, now we are living in an amoral world. Right. Though there's still moral cultures and this and that or people. But there is no absolute. It's relativism because mm -hmm. that follows evolution, right? Mm -hmm. And so everything is up for grabs. It's subjective. Yes. So the plumb line is no longer objective truth, let alone the word of God. And so anybody can say anything and you can't gripe against it or contest it or even make a judgment because that makes you a bigot. That makes you judgmental and mean and evil. So the world gets the banner of love. Let's just agree in love. Well, that's ridiculous because now there's no source of truth. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's the very basics of existentialism. Yeah. I'm the only one that can experience my truth, and you can't make a judgment on it because no two people can experience the same truth the same way. And the tragic thing, you see how this has really bled into the church right? so powerfully in what we call the emergent church, which basically is the idea of just people making the church relevant for today. Mm -hmm. Instead of allowing God's Holy Spirit to do the work, people making the church relevant, and it, the effects of it just cover the gamut from A to Z sure. all over the place. Because it, it's become very mechanical, and uh, they always love to go ahead and point to the fact that they're, you know, they're much more like the first, the first century church than any other group because they're very involved in all of the external things. 
Um, I, I recently you've heard people say, you know, the, the era of the mega church is over and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, maybe the mega churches haven't heard it cause they seem to be doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the, these people with the, the home church kind of a movement. And I always love to point back to it. It's the acts two forty two thing. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine in breaking of bread and prayers and fellowship. So those are those four elements that are mentioned there. What you find in much of the emergent church is a focus on those other three things. We're relational. So we have the fellowship. We have the breaking of bread. We meet house to house. We gather together for prayer. But the apostles doctrine, the first of those things is completely pushed aside because they say that is going to break with unity. Right. And that's that's really damaging to all of those other things. It's the doctrine that gives context to those things. Right. How do you know what to pray for, who to pray for, how to pray? Why exactly. would you break bread unless you already know the doctrinal reasons and the theology right, behind right, it? So, right. you know, we, we have put things in a reverse order. Doctrine is the thing that is taken the back seat. That's why you have a biblically illiterate church. But a lot of people who attend those biblically illiterate churches and they will point to their size and the things that they do in the external. Look right. at how many prayer meetings we have. Look right. at how much we're doing of outreach. Look at our right. our all these different things that we're doing outside in the quote community but doctrinally they are barren right and and they they point to their good works all the time and the thing is that the um the secret friendly church of rick warren and he's the golden calf and um um as you move through it it's it's a stepping stone to the emergent church mclaren uh uh, driscoll many others um uh rob bell um and if you read their writings it is so Contrary to the word of God, yet because people have been dumbed down. You know, the same thing has happened in the United States um, in our education. Uh, America has been dumbed down. The Trojan horse to the demise of the United States is the university's public education. Yes. And so they've dummied down the people. Once you dummy down the people, now you can tell them and, and direct them any way you want to because there's no way they can make a judgment. Mm-hmm. Now we see the parallel in the church of the United States, but not only here, but abroad. And so the church is being dummied down, removing them from the word of God. So this way, these charlatans can direct people. They call themselves pastors, but they're anything but pastors. They're fleecing the flock of God. They're running the church like a corporation. And they're deceiving people. In fact, Second Peter says, and they will have great followings. So these false teachers are within the church. When, when the enemy is outside the church, that's no problem. God warns us, Jesus warned us, the scriptures warn us about that. It's when the enemy is within the church, that is the greater enemy inside. You do not find Judas Iscariot outside the twelve. They were one of the twelve. You find Judas Iscariot inside the church, the false teachers, the false prophets, and so on and so forth. And so that's where we are right now in the church at large, in the United States here, and I think the world also. Because for there to be the preparation for the Antichrist to appear once the church is removed, there has to be a dummy down, which is part of the falling away. That's how it happens, Second Thessalonians. And so... Um, the greatest thing in protection against all this is to stay in the Word of God. Amen. And to teach people because the emergent church is preparing people to live comfortably here. 
Community is a key thing. Dialogue. Love. My responsibility as a shepherd is to prepare you to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, whether in the air or at death. One of the two. Amen. And that's the focal point. Yeah. we. we uh, how often do you feel like Paul did when he said to the Galatians, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? How often do we feel the, the pressure from people sure. just because we've said what needs to be said, standing upon the word of God? As you guys were talking, I was thinking just the Sunday night, we're going through Genesis. And think about the the uh, the sleeplessness that happens when you read something like this. In Genesis chapter 9, it says uh, speaks of the, the three sons of Noah. It says these three were the sons of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And it says, and from them came the whole of the earth. And so the point was that after the flood, there were these eight people, but three of the sons and their wives were going to repopulate the earth. Now, notice God says that in such a matter-of-fact way. It's not like, I want to try to convince you, I need right. to win an argument. He just said, this is how it happened. Yeah. And how many seminaries will say, oh, that's all allegorical. Right. Yeah. What, what right. allegory right. are they trying to get across right. to me? Here? Spiritualize yeah. it. Sure. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's... Higher education has become indoctrination. Yeah, I have no problems believing that. Why why is it? Because God said it in very matter-of-fact terms. Yes, yes. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Keep It Simple, the weekly radio talk show of Calvary Chapel Pasadena with Pastor Xavier Reese, focusing on current ministry issues here and around the world. And we'll be right back after these messages. We begin our character studies of different individuals of the Bible and what better place than Adam. There are many women in the scriptures who are models of virtue and the grace of God and certainly Abigail is one of them high on the list. Pastor Xavier Reese presents the significant people of scripture with his character studies of the Bible series now available in mp3 audio format on a USB flash drive. This PC or Mac compatible flash drive contains 169 messages in all, highlighting various figures throughout the Old and New Testaments. We want to begin our study of Mary by looking at the Annunciation. Our character study is Pontius Pilate. Tonight we'll be looking at Paul. From Adam and Eve to the Twelve Apostles and many, many more, Pastor Xavier Reese's character studies of the Bible USB flash drive makes a great study tool for the new believer and a perfect reference guide for the whole church. Get yours at the online store at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. That's the Character Studies of the Bible USB flash drive at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. The mission of Calvary Chapel Pasadena Women's Ministry is to encourage and strengthen the women of the body in the word of the Lord so that they might endure life's trials in His power and strength. And the instruction of God's Word to women by women plays such an important role in the church body. That's why we are blessed to make available the Women's Bible Studies Flash Drive. It's an audio compilation featuring past Bible studies from the Calvary Chapel Pasadena Women's Ministry. Loaded onto a reusable USB flash drive, you're able to hear the teachings from your home computer or take them with you on your mobile device. Included are women's Bible study teaching series such as Characteristics of a Godly Woman and Lessons Learned from Women of the Old and New Testament, book studies from the Psalms, the Gospels, and many, many more enclosed together on the Women's Bible Studies flash drive. Look for it in the audio messages section of our online store at calvarychapelpasadena.com. We return now to Keep It Simple and this week's discussion, Addressing Issues of Consequence for the Church, hosted by Pastor Xavier Reese of Calvary Chapel, Pasadena. 
And you are back with us in Keep It Simple in the studio with Pastor Xavier and our special guest, Pastor Chris Quintana from Calvary Chapel of Cyprus. You know, Chris, we were talking before of the broadcast about a, a conference that you've got coming up in February, February 11th, 11th isn't it? Yes, February the 11th. Uh, and you're having uh, Roger Oakland? Yeah, there'll be four of us, actually. They've given me uh, uh, one session to do, but um, Paul Smith will be there, and, and uh, he'll be talking on, on very much the same topics that you see uh, in his book, uh, New, New Evangelicalism. Great book, um, great book. Essential. Yes. It's going right along with what we're talking about today and yes. what we've spoken so far. Uh, Chick Chikalis uh, will be doing one of the sessions, and uh, and his is about discipleship and how he was discipled. And the whole idea of discipleship is that you need faithful disciplers to pass along, and you need faithful disciplees who are willing to take what they've been taught and then continue the work. So he'll talk about that. Um, I get a chance to, to talk about why should the church warn? Are we supposed to warn over doctrinal theological matters? And uh, and then Roger will have a couple of sessions, and uh, uh, he has a new book that's coming out, which he'll be talking about those things as well. So, yeah, that's going to be on the 11th of February. It's a Saturday. It's going to be an all-day conference. Uh, we'll be live streaming it, but we'd love to have people if they're in Southern California. What's your web address in case somebody wants to dial in? If they just want to make it easy, it's Calvary Chapel Cypress. So if you put in a, a word search, Calvary Chapel Cypress or CalvaryChapelCypress.net, yeah, it's pretty easy. That's Amen. great. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not knowing about warning and all that. Um, you know, Paul Smith, we're talking about... Uh, he he's uh, the brother of Pastor Chuck, and a great guy, and he wrote that that little book, the New Evangelicals. New Evangelicalism. Yeah. New Evangelicalism, and um, if if you can get a hold of that book, you're out there, you're listening. Um, it, it shows you the whole history of the downfall here in the American um, seminaries and all. Uh, he personally was there. He knew many of these men. This is information that many people don't have, and uh, people are trying to keep this out of print. Because this way you can keep deceiving people. Um, our friend um, um, Roger Oakland also, his book uh, probably 15 years ago, Faith Undone. Mm-hmm. You get the book Faith Undone. It exposes all these um, uh, charlatans like Rick Warren and all the others and just tears them apart from the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Now, we want you to understand that we don't name names just because we think we're better. Or because we think that we are high and mighty, uh, we are supposed to name names of those who are deceiving the flock of God. Paul the Apostle uh, exposed Phygelus, Hymogenes, Demas by name. Whenever we believe someone has been identified uh, and been effective in the body of Christ at one time as a faithful person, and then deviates and deflects into heresy, then we need to warn the body. Mm-hmm. It's much like, you know, when I, my kids were growing up, I, um, I, I would warn them not to hang out with a certain person or a certain friend or not to go certain whatever. Now, did I do that because I hated the person I was telling them not to go or was it because I love my son and daughter and I want them to go the right way? Exactly. So, uh, faith for the wounds of a friend. Deceive for the kisses of the enemy. Uh, we have to be able to be ready to stand alone if we have to. Um, if that's what it comes down to. If we are the only ones to warn people. We cannot be quiet 
when we know people are teaching false doctrine. Um, we want to confront them, first of all, um, to correct them and to let them know that we believe they're off the wall and show them the scriptures in hope that they would see the error and correct. Sure. Well, it's not mere castigation we're after, but we want reconciliation. We want correction of it. And that responsibility is for every believer, Amen. not just pastors. But again, the church at large here in the United States has been dumbed down like our nation has. And so has the church now around the world. And so once again, our manual has not changed. It's the same Bible. Mm -hmm. Nothing has changed. People change. God does not change. The scriptures do not change. The Holy Spirit does not change. The church does not change. The nature of the church remains the same. Though these men in these liberal areas of seeker-friendly and emergent church are changing the nature of the church by indoctrinating people, contrary to what the church really is. Amen. And, you know, the world, as we see it, it has changed so dramatically. I know back in the 1970s when we came to faith in Christ, we saw the world as being antagonistic to Christianity. But I think now we kind of look back at that as the good old days Right. in reality. Uh, you know, the world we live in identifies the biblical Christian as some terrible evil. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and it's it, yeah they do definitely because uh, our values are completely different, and so you have one uh, one wing, if you will, of the church that's trying everything they can do to accommodate the world, right. and so you can't tell where the church begins and the, and the world ends right. in those places, and then they see people like us on the other extreme. Going back to what you were just talking about, X. I mean, I think of Paul. At the end of, of uh, the book to the Romans, chapter 16, verse 17 is exactly what you said. You mark those that cause division, and the division he identifies as according to the doctrine that you've heard. And then he says, and then distance yourself that's from right. those people. Absolutely. So it's not personal. Right. I and mean, that's what most people think. So right. the world, when they know and when they see that we hold for biblical principles, we believe in the sanctity of life. We believe in the sanctity of marriage. We believe in, in things that used to be traditional values, as the saying goes. You know, it's almost a euphemism now. And it's now becoming, in, in the, the public arena, uh, so despised and so hated, and we're the only ones still holding to it, that we're going to see ourselves marginalized more and more by the day. It's what we should expect, though. Yeah, yeah. Their, their rejection of, uh, it, it's kind of like, remember when it, when it was that, uh, that uh, God was warning the children of Israel against Saul? And he finally had to say, "Look, it's, uh, Samuel, don't be upset. It's not that they are. It's not that they are rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Right. And right. that's where we are. And unfortunately, it's making its way into the church. I, I think a large segment, actually, probably more than half of the church, is in that place. Yes, yes. But again, I think that's part of the falling away. You know, the late J. Vernon McGee. He's been dead probably now about ten years or so, or maybe Come more. About twenty. Okay, about twenty. Yeah. Is that shish? Where time flies. <laughs> And he believed we were in the great falling away. And certainly, um, we see such an exponential uh, falling away today. And so once again, um, it, it's, it's the, the Word of God, the plumb line. There is no personal um, self-righteousness of this, but yet they will try to marginalize you to that. Well, you're being critical. 
self-righteous. Never apologize for the Word of God. Mm -hmm. I may have to apologize for my attitude, but not when I'm giving the Word of God. And so it's very important that um, otherwise, then everybody does what they want. And you, and you can't do that. And so, again, the protection and the responsibility we have is to warn people. Uh, we know the falling away is coming. We know the Antichrist is coming. And, and so the, the obstructionists are the conservatives, the patriots, and the Christians. And you remove those, you have a very, very dark world. Amen. Very dark world. Chris... Oh, I'm sorry, just real quick, uh, J. Vernon McGee, uh, it looks like he passed away in 88, so next year will be 30 years. Wow. 30 years, okay. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, Amen. Unreal. Yeah. Wow. And, and he does he does that. more work today than most yeah. living people. Yes. Sure. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Something, an interesting thing about him that many people don't realize, most everything that you ever hear of him, uh, he was doing it behind a desk because they had run him off from his church. Right. So that stuff that's recorded of his. Oh, wow. He did it yeah. not in front of a live audience. Yeah. He had a house yeah. here in Pasadena. That's where he did it. Yeah. Wow. People in the church today are so shocked at the uh, the division between themselves and the popular culture. Does the scripture prepare believers to live in such a contrary situation, Chris? It should. It tells you that, think about what Jesus had said, even to the disciples, uh, that you're going to be hated for my namesake. There's going to be a time when people think that they're offering a service to God when they put you to death. Right. So, uh, you know, if it was that way with them to think that somehow it would be different here, we're also so insulated from it because that's most of the Christianity in the rest of the world. We're so protected from it. Right. And sometimes we take that for granted. For the moment. Yeah. For the moment. Is it, I, yeah. I like how you said that. I totally agree with that. Yeah. You know, d- depending on how long the Lord leaves us here, uh, we have certainly done nothing to garner his favor as a nation in, in recent history. And uh, the, actually, you and I were talking about this. Um, unless we change our tack with Israel. We are in again. We are inviting his wrath by right. being being a treacherous partner of mm-hmm. his. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I you look at the so-called protections that the government of uh, the United States offers to different religious groups, and I in I'm appreciate those things. I'm grateful, but at the same time, I see those as in sort of inducements for believers to be lulled into a state of compromise and comfort, not willing to stand up and speak the truth, unwilling to rock the boat, as they say. Right. And we, we cannot allow that to yeah. take place in the church of Christ. Yeah. But again, even nationally or, or in the church, it's because absolute truth has been removed. Um, all the policies of a nation are always very objective truths. They have a goal, a purpose for protection and for privilege. And, but those protections and privileges come with conditions. And when those things are broken, there's consequences to protect the whole. It's, you know, like in geometry, no, no part is greater than the whole. An axiom, okay? Well, the same thing with the nation. No one person is greater than the nation. And so when one person gets out of whack, then they be, they're disciplined for the sake of society. Yes. So society has a social conscience and they have the legal matters of courts and all that. Well, the same thing in the church, no different. And when both of those remove those objective truths for the sake of the benefit of the whole, right. then you destroy it. 
You, and that's what's, you, that's where we're at is the parallel. You kill the patient. Yes. That's right. Uh, something you said a few minutes ago, Xavier, um, having to do with opposition against the church. Do you see more challenging opposition from outside the church or opposition from inside the church? I wonder if you could. Well, right now, I mean, certainly the last eight years um, in in the United States, it was both from within and from without. Amen. In fact, we were pretty uh, pretty certain that uh, if things continued as they were, um, it wouldn't be long before the churches in the United States would be closed up and tax exempt, everything be taken out and limited on what they could say. We got a little um, window time of a window time of fresh air. How long it'll be, we don't know. Amen. But uh, certainly, you have the attack from within by the secret friendly, the emergent church, and whatever next comes, because it won't stay there. Uh, the thing about heresy is like a monastic um, cancer; it keeps just changing. It just puts webbing all over the place, and so it's the latest. But there will be something else if the Lord tarries. Mm -hmm. There's always a new lie. And it's interesting, you know, if we fast forward a little bit, we should be expecting these issues to become more pronounced in the years ahead, don't you think, Chris? Yeah, I think you have no no doubt about it. Let's face it. Everybody who um, has the ability wants to shut down their opposition. So uh, it's human nature. And we see this already in Canada pretty clearly that it is – uh, it is Ill- illegal. It's a punishable offense to broadcast many aspects of biblical truth over the over the uh, um, radio in well, Canada. Sure. When did we first popularize even the term hate speech? Yeah, and it's completely subjective. And uh, the biggest problem is that the ones you have to fear the most are the ones that have some kind of authority over what is considered that speech. And then what do they do when they think that they've identified it? So, right. can you imagine how much of the church could be nullified? This is their. This is the end game to them. How much of the the church's effectiveness in the world could be nullified if you could keep them from saying things? You know, we're seeing it already. Does the Bible have an opinion about life? Does it have an opinion about marriage? Does it have an opinion about sexuality? Yeah. Yeah, God has really strong opinions on all of those. Yeah. And if you're going to be just very careful with the scripture and and let it speak for itself, that's going to put you at odds with the powers that be. So when will the day come? Where it is like it is in other places in the world where you cannot say the plainly obvious right. from Scripture without fear of reprisal. Right. And many of you who are listening, you, you live there. Amen. Uh, the majority of the church has always lived under persecution. Why God has allowed the church in the United States not to be persecuted up to this point, I don't know. Is it, uh, uh, is it better? I don't think so. Um, the test will come when persecution comes. Mm-hmm. But um, certainly, uh, again, the objective truth, uh, the first church, um, first century church was persecuted because they believed the objective truth of God's word. And any church, any Christian who believes the objective truth exactly for what it says will suffer persecution. Absolutely. So as you speak against the liberal aspects, the, uh, the philosophy of relativism, situational ethics, value clarifications, um, when you're not... Um, diverse in your thinking with this cultural relativity of diversity of sexuality and gender, then you become one who is critical, judgmental, unloving, um, whatever. And um, that's where the church has always been. You know, the church in the United States maybe 150 years ago was really vibrant, living, uh, powerful, effective. You know, at the time of uh, the... the uh, uh, 
end of slavery, how you look at how powerful the church was in affecting that change inside this country, the whole abolitionist movement sure. and wonderful thing that it was. But I have to say, you know, as we look at and we say, we don't know why God allowed uh, the absence of persecution in the United States. I think we can, we can draw the conclusion that part of it is not God's plan. It's Satan's plan to lull us into complacency. Mm-hmm, sure. And that really has taken such a powerful effect. Yeah. You know, the healthiest church in the world is, uh, as far as I can tell, the church in the Islamic world, where people endure horrible persecution, uh, Iran, Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, yeah. even, you know, and it's a shrinking church every day, unfortunately, in some places. Yeah. But in others, you know, the gospel's going out and God's just doing an amazing work. Is the, the good news, the really good news is that as we see the time of the rapture of the church, we should expect to see these these issues more and more pronounced even here in the United States. Absolutely. Sure. And that's one of the, the the topics that is being taught against very, very strongly, the rapture. They believe it's a recent doctrine and a woman invented it and all that. Well, you know, forget church history. I am embarrassed of church history, and uh, that's what Chuck used to say also. Um the only history that we believe is what we have in the book of Acts, in the epistles, the doctrines. So Jesus taught it, Paul taught it, John taught it. It's good enough for me. Amen. I don't care if the church hasn't taught it for 2,000 years. Sure. There's, a, there's an easy explanation for that as well, because you look at who has pretty much been you know, controlling, who controlled the world up to the Reformation. And it was Catholicism yeah, right. who completely disallows the, the even belief in a rapture of the church. Yeah. And so all of the reformers, quote unquote, carried that same eschatology. So, Amen. you know, most of the world was completely illiterate at the time of the Reformation. And so, yeah, people need to know that, that they can go to the scriptures for themselves. They don't need the authority of the Vatican and they needed to learn how to read. And sure enough, that is about the time when people started to read for themselves and they found out that Paul would talk about the harpazo and it's much different than the second coming. And they realized that Paul believed in the imminency of that potential because he said, we who are alive. And so that really does set that whole doctrine in place. And I think it's, that is a debate. If you want to call it, we should be having constantly. Yeah. It's a blessed hope. Right. Right. And what we're looking forward to. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that we are sort of prone to in our thinking is that if we're being led by the Lord, if the Holy Spirit is leading us, things should be, uh, quote-unquote, successful. Hmm. But we don't, don't always see that pattern in Scripture, do we? I mean, there's a lot of opposition. The work of God is always opposed. You know, and I think of the Scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians 16.9, uh, the Apostle Paul says, A great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Mm-hmm. And we should expect that. And we should teach people. Sure. If you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to have opposition. You know, Pastor X, it's so important for believers to know that the work they're engaged in is God's plan and not their plan, to have that confidence in the Lord. You know, our enemy, on the other hand, wants to discourage us, and that's always going forward. There's always going to be opposition. Would you agree? Sure. The minute we're born again, we're born into warfare. And so you need to be, um, as Paul says, "Find my brother, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God. Gives you the reason why we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, principality, power, dominion, of darkness, and high places. And then he enumerates the, the whole different parts of the armor. In other words, uh, we cannot stand on our own strength. We have to have the armor of God. 
the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet of the preparation of the gospel of peace. All these things that will deflect the fiery darts of the enemy, the attacks. Satan will always come back at a more opportune time. He is the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He roams around like, like a lion seeking whom he may devour. He loves roasted Christian. He just, he, sleepy Christians. He loves it. And so he is the enemy. And if, if you think that you're born again and that everything's going to be nice, no. The warfare begins when you're born again and it will finish when you take your last breath. Right. You are a soldier. You must endure hardness as a good soldier, knowing who your commander is, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. In the world you shall have tribulation, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, Jesus said. Yeah. If they've done this to me, what do you think they're going to do to you? It's just real simple. Mm-hmm. And so it's not what we want. It's not what we would consider the best at times. Uh, but um, it's, it's what comes along with the claim to be a Christian and following Jesus Christ. That puts you in opposition to the entire world. Amen. You know, one of the things we're regularly praying for the church is that there would be an urgency for the sharing of the gospel message. Is that something we should expect to see in the last days? If the uh, if the pulpits are doing what they're supposed to do, you're equipping the the flock of God to go out into the world, and that should be their primary message. You know, you're wanting to see disciples making disciples, or right. sheep begetting sheep, as it used to be uh, said around our, our our place. So, for for like you, X, and for myself, um, the position that God's put us into is to give people a reason for why they believe what they believe. And uh, evangelism is going to be the natural outpouring of it, as it was with me. It was a person who was excited about God forgiving him and cleansing him of his sin. And he wanted me to know that. And he brought me to church so that I could find answers as well to the questions that I had that he once had. So, yeah, we we should expect that the the propagation of the gospel is what we do outside the walls. We fellowship with one another when we're inside the walls and we are equipped. Going to the source of, of our understanding is the scripture itself. That's where we find that all scripture that's been given, yeah. it's been given for doctrine and then for the reproof and correction and instruction and yeah. righteousness. Yeah, yeah. And again, the purpose of the church is to perfect the saints, mm-hmm. to do the work of the ministry in Ephesians 4. Yep. The privilege of the church is the ministry of evangelism, to reach the lost. And that starts in the pew on Sundays in the mid- midweek. There's always an altar call one way or the other because you always assume there's sinners here. And then it starts, the first step outside the church, going out in different forms to reach the lost world. And if uh, pastors are doing their job, if they're feeding the sheep, you're going to have healthy sheep, and healthy sheep beget other sheep. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's so important. And a proper biblical perspective of how to approach. You know, uh, you gentlemen, every, every week you have such a privilege, and I know you know better than anybody. You know what a blessing it is to be able to exhort and encourage and just see the Spirit of God lead and direct. You know, it was interesting this past week, Pastor Xavier, his voice was kind of going. You can hear a little bit. He's, it's a little raspy, but just awesome to listen to God work through that circumstance and uh, how faithful the Lord is, you know, regardless of what's going on, mm-hmm. to reveal him. We look forward to uh, hearing about the conference coming up in February, and we'll continue to pass out information to people. Uh, we want to thank you, Chris, for taking the time to come by and sharing with us. Thanks a lot, Chris. Really what appreciate a privilege. It. Loved it. Amen. Yeah. God is good. Thanks. We want to thank you for tuning in to Keep It Simple. 
the radio talk show of the Simple Truth Radio Network with Pastor Xavier Reese. And we'd like to encourage you to take advantage of the resources available on the Simple Truth Radio Network. The teaching of Pastor Xavier Reese, both in English and in Spanish. Also, the teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, which is available throughout the world most times during the day. There's also women's ministry teaching available. And if you'd like to uh, log in to get the scheduling of those particular issues, you can do that at the website, the church website, calvarychapelpasadena.com. If you'd like to contact us by mail, you can reach us at simpletruths at ccpas.com. And on behalf of the Simple Truth Radio Network in Calvary Chapel, Pasadena, we want to thank you for being with us. And the Lord bless you. You've been listening to Keep It Simple with your host, Pastor Xavier Reese on Simple Truths Radio. We hope today's broadcast has informed, encouraged, and challenged you in your own personal walk with Christ. For more information regarding Simple Truths Radio Ministries or Calvary Chapel Pasadena, please visit calvarychapelpasadena.com. We hope you'll be back for our next discussion, and may God richly bless your day.